it. Turn in your Bibles over to the book of Genesis, chapter number 39. We'll be in Genesis 39, but we will cover Genesis 39, the end of Genesis 39, then chapter number 40. And we'll get to the first verse of chapter number 41 tonight, continuing with our series through the life of Joseph in Genesis. And as you're turning there, this is actually a perfect setting for me to say this in light of what just happened. I was going to say it anyways, but now I'm really going to say it. I appreciate the guys in the sound booth and the guys that work the screen. Um, that's a blessing that is uh, very, very uh, overlooked a lot of the times in a lot of churches. And I'm not saying that it's uh, common in this church, but uh, Brother Bruce served for 15 years as the, uh, as the uh, sound guy. And then now we've got Brother Alex up there as well as Brother Jason Mayfield. And they do a great job. You know how you know, how you know they do a great job is when nothing goes wrong. When something goes wrong, what do you do? You look at them. When something goes right, we don't look their direction. So I appreciate them up there, as well as Brother Jake and Brother David uh, working the screen. Uh, I'm preaching this direction, so I don't know what's behind me. But from what I've been told, when you talk as fast as I do, it's nice to have the points up there. And so I appreciate the guys up there. I I think you ought to probably tell them that you appreciate them as well, because they don't get paid. You guys know you don't get paid, right? They don't get paid to work up there. They do it out of the goodness of their heart, and so I appreciate Mention that to him. Hey, um, I walked right into that. Yeah, I appreciate. Thanks, brother Jason. I appreciate that. So we're in Genesis chapter number thirty-nine, and uh, we're going to be looking again at that last section of Genesis chapter number thirty-nine. Um, how many of you know about my car situations in life? Okay, if you don't know, and you're going to think I'm lying, but I'm going to put my hand on the Bible right here, and I'm in church, so I wouldn't lie. I've owned fourteen different vehicles since my wife and I got married back in 2013. 14 different vehicles. And I'm not the kind of person that purchases a vehicle and then gets uh, dissatisfied and wants to get an upgrade. No, I buy what they call lemons. I buy lemon cars, cash cars. I take my money and I'll, I'll bust you know, $500 out and I'll pay for a $500 car and I will get exactly what I pay for. I'm the king when it comes to buying lemon cars. Uh, those of you, again, that, that have known me, you've seen uh, in the brief time that I've been in the ministry here at Wooden Valley, you've seen probably a dozen different cars parked in this driveway over here. And now I'm thankful I don't have a lemon. I got a 2017 Toyota Corolla. And you know why I bought a 2017 Toyota Corolla? Because I was, yeah. all that money that the church pays me, I could go, no. I went out and I got tired of buying lemons. I got tired of buying lemons. Today on my time, there's a thing called Time Hop and it pops up on uh, your Facebook and tells you about what happened on this day in years past. And today, uh, what popped up a year ago today, or no, two years ago today, I was at Mike and Opal's house and you see a picture of me just holding just mangled parts of a, of a vehicle. And I remember being over at Michael and Opal's house, uh, this like, I think I bought that Skylark. It was an 89 Scar- Skylark. I bought for a hundred bucks. Brother Olzak, where's he at? He fixed that for me and I was able to drive it for all of three weeks. And <laughs> man, it, it messed up. And I, I remember holding the shambles. And so I'm the king at buying lemon cars. How many of you have owned a couple of lemons? You've owned a couple of them. Probably how many of you own more lemons than me? Didn't think so. No, no one has owned more lemons than me. I, I, I'm, I'm bad at buying cars. I just am. Uh, I've just, I've just, and matter of fact, it's really self-inflicted. I can't blame anybody else but myself uh, because of my, uh, I don't know, I, I probably should have saved money or whatever, but I just was like, I, I got $500, I need a car, I'll go buy a car. And so I'm the king at buying lemons. 
And uh, I'd like, I, I say that, I, I give that illustration tonight for us to kind of get our mind in motion about the idea of, of getting a lemon, being given a lemon. We use that term to reference something um, that is sour, something that is difficult, um, something that is uh, unbecoming or unfavorable. And uh, as you wrap your mind around maybe uh, the idea of a lemon car or a lemon situation, could we not think of Joseph? Had Joseph been given his fair share of lemons? Matter of fact, I think that Joseph might have me beat in regards to difficult circumstances. When it comes to being given a difficult circumstance, being given a lemon, you ever heard the expression, when life give you, gives you lemons, you make lemonade? And so I want you to be thinking about that tonight as we uh, go through Genesis chapter number 39 in light of Joseph and the life of Joseph, namely the situation that he's in right now. Uh, verse number 20 of chapter number 39, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. And so if you'll read with me, uh, don't uh, be distracted, read along with me in verse number 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the, uh, into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's, uh, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was, uh, that was under his hand because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Verse number one of chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard, remember that's Potiphar, Unto the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night. Each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were, uh, that were with, in, uh, with him in, uh, in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sad, sadly today? And they said unto him, We have uh, dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine there were three branches, and it was thought, uh, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the cluster thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup unto his hand after the manner, excuse me, after the former manner when thou hast wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into uh, the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats, 
uh, for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation thereof, the three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall uh, hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the uh, third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, uh, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among uh, his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. But he hung, or excuse me, he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. First section of chapter number 41, verse number 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. For just a moment tonight, in light of our passage and our series through the life of Joseph, a story of God's sovereignty, I'd like to talk to you about this subject in light of our text tonight. When life gives you lemons, when life gives you lemons, let's pray a brief word of prayer and we'll begin tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for your many blessings, and again, allowing us the opportunity to break from the week and to come and to uh, bring a request to you, yes, Lord, but we also want to take time to worship you tonight. You're a great God. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. The idea that you would inhabit uh, our praises is, is unfathomable, Lord. Uh, we're finite and we are sinful. There's, it's a one-way relationship. We have nothing to offer you, yet you've given everything, including your son. Lord, thank you for that. We pray that you'd be with us tonight as we look through the life of Joseph and look at how to deal with difficult circumstances. Joseph, as he goes through his life, no doubt uh, there's no one that can p- compare to the situations and the difficult circumstances that Joseph has been placed in. Yet we find him giving you honor and glory and you bringing forth your great will through his life. Lord, uh, all of us, no doubt, there are people that have far greater, more difficult circumstances than I in this room. Lord, I pray that tonight as we look at the life of Joseph, we'd learn what to do with those difficult circumstances. How can we respond to them? And ultimately, how can we bring honor and glory to your name? Pray that you'd be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for reading with me and praying with me. So again, uh, we left off last week where we find Joseph, and he's refusing uh, to conform to the new moral code. Who was here last week? As we talked about that new moral code, uh, Joseph was refusing to adhere to the new moral code, but rather he was holding strong to the Bible moral conviction. Really quickly, the new, moral, uh, the new morality says that ethics are based on your situation, resources, and all parties involved, but we learned that the Bible morality says that truth is always right, no matter where, when, or how. The new morality says that it's okay to indulge in temptation if it is for the greater good, but we learned that the Bible morality says that it is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. And we looked at the offenses of Joseph, but unfortunately we didn't get a chance to look at what it cost Joseph. Joseph holding to the Bible morality sounds all well and good, but did you know that it cost Joseph dearly? It cost Joseph Uh, I mean, uh, in a a major way, it didn't just cost Joseph his reputation. He didn't just uh, get stripped of his reputation. Joseph got thrown into prison because of his integrity and because of his morality, because he was holding to the Bible more conviction. It wasn't just a decision that Joseph just flippantly made and it worked out for his better. As a matter of fact, humanly speaking, would we all agree it worked out uh, humanly speaking, it worked out really the opposite for his, for his worse. It, it, was, it was not to the best interest of Joseph, humanly speaking, for him to refute the advancements of Potiphar's wife. But nonetheless, he held to the Bible moral conviction. We learned that just because you follow the plan of God today doesn't mean that prosperity awaits you on the morrow. 
Just because you decide that you're going to follow the Bible moral conviction today doesn't mean that you're going to go to sleep tonight and wake up the next morning and instantly be prosperous. We learned that righteousness is not always immediately rewarded. You're not always going to be instantaneously rewarded for deciding to do things the Bible way. At the end of chapter number 39, we find Joseph being thrown into prison because of these false accusations that are made against Joseph by Potiphar's wife. And we can estimate that Joseph, when he's thrown into prison, he's about 28 years young. He's about 28 years young. Again, how old was Joseph when he was thrown into the pit? 17, right? So he's 17 years old when he's thrown into the pit, and we know that he was sold into slavery, and he's in Egypt for about 10 years, and uh, 10 years passes from the scene, and he's sold as a slave uh, to Potiphar, and he rises to uh, the ranks of second in command, but that takes time. So we can estimate that Joseph is about 28 years young whenever he uh, is thrown into prison, and then we start off chapter number 41 in verse number one at the end of two full years. Pharaoh dreams this dream. So, pop quiz. How old is Joseph in our text? 30 years old. If he's 17 years old when he's thrown into prison, he's 10 years uh, removed from his family in Egypt, and he's about, uh, maybe about a year in, 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 uh, Pharaoh, or excuse me, in Potiphar's house, and now he's in prison. At the end of his tenure in prison, he's 30 years old. So 13 long years had passed from the time that Joseph began this domino effect in his life that began with the callousness of his brother's heart and throwing him there into the prison. So again, for 13 long years, Joseph has suffered major setbacks from where he thought that God intended for Joseph to be. On the one side, Joseph finds himself in this situation because of the callousness of those whom Joseph loved, the callousness of his brother's heart. We talked about that in week number three, but his brothers despised him. They hated him, and because of their hatred for their brother, do you hear me? Because of their hatred for their own flesh and blood, that led to the dismantlement of Joseph's unwaveling in regards to his life, in regards to this, again, domino effect that begins in the life of Joseph. Difficult times and circumstances really started with his callous brother's hearts and throwing him into the prison and selling him into slavery. But on the other hand, as I just mentioned just a moment ago, Joseph is in prison because of who? Joseph. It's, uh, it's because of Joseph, uh, and, and we understand that Joseph is a man of integrity, he's a man of character. But again, just because you make the right decisions doesn't mean it's going to work out for you in the end, humanly speaking. When Louis Armstrong wrote the song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, he must have been thinking of Joseph. If there's one word that we can think of to describe Joseph at this point in his life, could we all agree that it would be this word trouble? Trouble. Joseph has seen his fair share of trouble. But can I tell you something about Joseph? Even in the midst of troublesome times, and even in the darkest hour of Joseph's life, you never will see Joseph playing the victim card. You never will. You will never see Joseph playing the victim card. Joseph will never say of his mouth that he's in the situation that he's in because of uh, difficult times and circumstances because of the faults of everyone else. But rather, Joseph saw uh, the sovereign hand of God at work in his life. Joseph never played the victim card, but you know what else Joseph didn't do? Joseph didn't go into survival mode in his trial. You don't find Joseph in the midst of the prison rocking back and forth in fetal position saying there's no place like Canaan, there's no place like Canaan, there's no place like Canaan. Joseph didn't go into survival mode as the troubles begin to pile up on every side with Joseph, Joseph saw an opportunity. Joseph saw the active hand of God. We learned last week that Joseph learned that although his problems were big, they were no match for the magnitude of Joseph's God. Although the problems were great, we would all agree with that. In the life of Joseph, they were no match for the size of Joseph's God. Joseph wanted to thrive amid adversity. 
Joseph didn't look at troubles through the same lenses that we look at troubles through. Joseph, again, he saw opportunity. How did Joseph learn to win in the midst of difficult circumstances? Joseph got some lemons. How did, what did Joseph do with the lemons that life gave him? Here it is. How did Joseph learn to thrive through troubles? A few things I'd like us to notice in light of our text. Number one, write this down. He was committed to simple projects. Joseph was committed to simple projects. Joseph was a man that was faithful to the little things in life. Joseph didn't just give great attention to the bigger projects. Remember, we learned Joseph is a man of integrity and impeccable character. Whatever Joseph set out to do, whether great or small, Joseph was committed to the task at hand. There was no task too small for Joseph. Joseph did not think so highly of himself that he looked at these little problems that he faced in life and say that I'm too big for those problems. I'm too, I'm too important to be able to deal with those problems. No, Joseph took every task that was given to him and he treated it with the utmost of importance because he's a man of integrity. Genesis 37 in verse 13, we read in, verse, uh, in week number two, verse number 13, and Israel said unto Joseph, that's Jacob, do not thy brethren feed the flocks in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. Simple compliance. Jacob gives the instructions. Remember, we talked about it. It was an act of complete obedience, and it was an act of complete compliance. Joseph goes out to the land of Shechem, to the field, and they weren't in Shechem. He takes it a mile further and goes down to the land of Dothan. Why? Because he knew that the responsibility was his. The expectation was, you go check on your brothers. I'm going to comply. Simple project, but Joseph's a man of integrity. You understand what I'm saying? I know it's simple, but Joseph, was, he, he viewed the simple projects in life the same as he viewed the big, big problems in life. Genesis 39, verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, that's Potiphar. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. We learned a couple of weeks ago about the position of prominence that Joseph reached in the house of Potiphar. Did you know that that did not happen by Joseph neglecting the small responsibilities? Joseph was a slave when he entered into the house of Potiphar. And we also talked about the fact that he's a Hebrew slave. So that's two strikes against Joseph. Joseph did not magically just wake up one day and he was second in command in the house of Potiphar. No, uh, the text insinuates that Joseph was probably faithful and a good steward of his time and his resources and his integrity and his character. He was faithful to the small projects in his tenure there in the house of Potiphar, and that's why he rose to prominence. And now we find ourselves at the end of chapter number 39 in verse number 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. It's no time before Joseph finds favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and Joseph is placed as a uh, uh, charge, he's in charge, he's the foreman, if, I, if you'd understand. He's the foreman of the, the prisoners there in, in uh, Potiphar's prison. Can I ask you a question? Was Joseph qualified for this mediocre task? We just learned last week, we talked about that first section, and uh, remember, and that's why I, I drew attention to it when I read the text, but this is the prison that Potiphar is over. So Potiphar, as in the, the man that Joseph was just kicked out of his house for the accusations made against Joseph, Joseph, here's Potiphar, here's the prison, the, everybody in the prison would report to Potiphar, but what, did the, what does the Bible say at the beginning of chapter number 39? That Potiphar puts everything into Joseph's hands. So Joseph is now reporting to the man who was once reported to Joseph. Did you see that? 
Joseph is now, the the keeper of the prison was once working for Joseph and now he gives Joseph this mediocre task, comparatively speaking to where Joseph had been just a few verses before, and now he gives him the responsibility to be the foreman of the prisoners. And I don't know about you, but I I don't don't know, whenever difficult times and circumstances come into life, are we not tempted to become cynical? And I, I, I just I try to put myself in the mind of Joseph. Here I am. I'm signing the checks for this, this guy. I'm signing the checks for the keeper of the prison. And now this Genesis 39 experience unfolds. And now I'm reporting to the very man who once reported to me. And he has the audacity to tell me, hey, why don't I make you uh, second in command in the prison? I don't know. That, that might have just been a humbling experience for Joseph. For me, it would have been a humbling experience for me to work for someone and uh, for them to work for me. And now I work for them. Maybe, I don't know, if you're cynical, you'd come to the conclusion, yeah, I think I'll pass. You want me to be second in command in the prison? Ha, that's very funny. You do realize that you were just reporting to me. But was that Joseph's attitude? Not at all. Why? We learned last week, he saw God in every situation. Joseph saw God in every circumstance. Joseph didn't view this mediocre task as a setback, but as a setup for a comeback. Joseph was committed to the simple project. Secondly, write this down. He was concerned about struggling people. Joseph was concerned about struggling people. Verse number six. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were there, uh, that were with him in ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? So hold on, let's just recap for just a moment. Let's look at Joseph, okay? Joseph has, uh, has been thrown, uh, he was, again, he was rejected by those who loved him most. Joseph was rejected by his own flesh and blood, his brothers. Joseph was stripped naked and maliciously thrown into a prison, or excuse me, thrown into the pits by his brothers. Joseph was sold into slavery to the Midianites. Then he was sold as a slave to Potiphar. Then he was falsely accused of rape. Yet here he is saying, hey, why so blue? What's going on? Tell me about your problems. Do you see the irony? Do you see the irony? Let's just put it in perspective. Joseph, all those things that I just mentioned about Joseph, how many of us have been through half as much as Joseph has been through in his life? Joseph has been through more than anybody that I know personally, anybody that I believe is recorded in scripture aside from Jesus Christ. Yet Joseph is here and he's asking what their problem is. Do you get it? Joseph is asking how he can help them. He's looking at their problems. Comparatively speaking, if we were to put them on the scale, they're not even in the same league. Okay, They're not even in the same league as Joseph's problems, yet here Joseph is concerning himself with the problems of others, even though, humanly speaking, they were not as difficult as Joseph's. If there was ever a man to get a pass for, from, de- from having to deal with the petty problems of others, would we not agree it'd be Joseph? But was that Joseph's attitude? No, that wasn't Joseph's attitude. Joseph was concerned with the needs of others, even in the midst of his own problems in life, which were, humanly speaking, far greater. Joseph was concerned with struggling people. Joseph, who was struggling, was more concerned about the needs of others. Uh, about six months ago, uh, it was on a Sunday afternoon, and to give you an idea of how, how severe this problem was, I don't even remember what it was. I don't, remember, I don't remember what I was upset about, but I was, I mean, I was really upset. I was angry about something. And I, again, I don't remember what it was. Obviously, it wasn't that important. But I was, I was fuming mad, and to make matters worse, it happened on Sunday. So that means that I have to slap a smile on my face and I have to walk through the doors and I have to shake hands and say, hey, praise the Lord. And inside I have a terrible spirit, a terrible attitude. I'm angry. I'm I'm, I'm upset about something. And you know who I see? You know the first person that I see? Ron Stinking Fleet is the first person that I see. Is Brother Ron in here? Good. I think he's doing the count. Brother Ron is the last person that you want to see when you want to wallow in your pity. 
And those of you that know Brother Ron know exactly what I'm talking about. He's always in a good mood. I mean, I've never seen Brother Ron on a bad day. Uh, maybe his kids uh, can speak differently of him. Maybe Miss Susie can speak differently of him. But personally speaking, I've always seen Brother Ron with a smile and an encouraging word. And I walked into the house, and I'm frustrated, excuse me, into, into the church, and I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and I'm serious, I'm not making this up. I'm greeted by Ron Fleet, smiling from ear to ear, talking about the goodness of the Lord, and talking about all these things, uh, whatever, talking about how good God is, and man, uh, praise the Lord, hey, you want to go fishing sometime this week? And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm fuming mad about something, but I have to fake a smile. I'm like, okay, Brother Ron, I don't want to listen to you talk about how good things are for you, okay? I really don't care. I want to go in the corner, and I want to pout, and I want to cry. And that was on a Sunday afternoon, and the Lord prodded my heart in the middle of that conversation because you know what, this, this happened right around the time that Brother Ron was diagnosed with cancer. And man, the Lord dealt with me long before I ever heard a sermon preached that night. Here I am, problems, it was so great I didn't even remember what it was. And here's a man that has far greater, humanly speaking, problems than I do, yet his, dis, uh, his disposition was the joy of the Lord. And my disposition was, I want to wallow in my pity. Joseph was not... Uh, excuse me, Joseph was able to thrive amid the troublesome times of life because he was, cerned, he was concerned about struggling people. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Philippians chapter number two and verse number four. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you want to thrive amid the problems of life, if you want to know what to do when life gives you lemons, you're going to have to take your focus off of yourself and look for someone to encourage. If you want to, if you want to know what to do with the lemons of life, you know what you ought to do? You ought to look at someone else who's struggling and say, hey, Lord, how can I encourage them? That's what Joseph did. That's what Jesus did. Joseph was able to thrive amid the troubles of life because he was concerned about struggling people. Something that's interesting to notice about Joseph in prison is his uh, disposition. It's not directly mentioned in our scripture, but we can kind of read between the lines. His disposition, what do you mean by his disposition? I don't know. Joseph is sitting there again, and I'm not going to go and, and re-preach everything I just re-preached, but Joseph, having dealt with all the difficulties of life that he had just dealt with, is now concerned with struggling people He's concerned with the needs of someone whose, whose, whose problems do not even come close to touching the problems that Joseph has been through, yet who is asking who whose problems? Who is asking who about their problems? Joseph is asking them about their problems. Would it be safe to say that Joseph probably had the joy of the Lord? Would it be safe to say that someone who's going to go out of their way to ask about their petty problems probably has the joy of the Lord? Again, we're going to see in just a few verses in chapter number 41, but he, Joseph's disposition must have been that of someone who was emanating with the Spirit of God because Pharaoh says in verse number 38 of chapter number 41, what kind of man is this where the Spirit of God is? What kind of man is this who's been through all that he's been through and here he is smiling, being excited, encouraging, trying to help somebody else? If you're saved and you know it, then your face should surely show it. Joseph's situation said victim, but his countenance said victor. Joseph's chain said conquered, but his voice said conqueror. Joseph was concerned about the struggles of others. Joseph was more concerned about the needs of others, even amid the own trials that he was going to, which were far greater. 
Charles Edison is the son of the famous Thomas Edison, and he wrote in his biography of his father, the electric Thomas Edison, this insert. One December evening, the cry of fire echoed through the plant. A spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room, and with mo- uh, excuse me, and within moments, the packing compounds, celluloids for records, film, and other flammable goods had gone up in a whoosh. When I couldn't find my father, I became very concerned. Was he safe? With all his assets going up in smoke, surely his spirit would be broken. He was 67. No age for a man to start over again. It was at that moment that I saw my father in the plant yard running towards me as fast as he could. Where's your mother, he shouted. Go get her and tell her to get all her friends. They're never going to see another fire this big. At 5.30 the next morning, when the fire was barely under control, he called his employees together and said, We will rebuild. One man was told to rent all the machine shops in the area. Another was told to obtain a wrecking crane from the Erie Railroad Company. Then, almost as an afterthought, he said, Do we know of anybody who has some money where we could pay for these restorations? Later on, he explained this. You can always make capital out of disaster. We've just cleared out the old rubbish. We'll build bigger and better upon these ruins. And with that, he rolled up his coat for a pillow, curled up on an empty table, and immediately fell asleep. Wow. Kind of reminds me of the situation over at Gascoigne Lumber. When I think of that situation, when I think of that story, when I think about Gascoigne Lumber, you know who that makes me think of? Joseph. Joseph. In the midst of his own dilemmas, which we've already established were catastrophic, what is he doing? He's got the joy of the Lord on his face. He's not focused on his own problems, but rather he is concerned with the needs of others. Joseph was committed to simple projects. Joseph was concerned about struggling people. Number three, write this down. He was compassionate to solve problems. He was compassionate to solve problems. We know this about Joseph. He was a dreamer. Joseph was a dreamer. Again, we talked about this in week number two, but God had given Joseph these two visions, and through them, he gave them his agenda for Joseph's life. He says, Joseph, I'm giving you these visions, and we, I'm not going to go over them. We're not going to read, but you know the story. Excuse me. He gives these visions to Joseph and says, Joseph, there's going to come a time in your life where I'm going to rise you to a position of prominence, and the very brothers that are mocking you are one day going to kneel before your feet in reverence and honor to your position. One day, I'm going to raise you to a high esteem in regards to authority, in regards to position. I've got great things, things are, that are way bigger than you could ever imagine. I'm going to raise you to a position of prominence. Fast forward 13 long, agonizing, painful years, and where is Joseph? In the palace? Not yet. He's in prison. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if, if you're optimistic. Uh, I don't understand your outlook on life. I am far more pessimistic or realistic, as I like to say. When I look at life, I don't see it half empty or half full. I see a glass of water. Okay, that's just how I say That's what it is. I, I'm a realist. And when I think about all the situations that Joseph has had to go, to go through, maybe I know a lot of you are far more spiritual than I, but I just kind of come to the conclusion that I probably wouldn't be as optimistic as he was. I wouldn't be as excited. I wouldn't have that kind of disposition about me, maybe not even displaying the joy of the Lord if I've been through half as much as Joseph has been through. And again, if I look at the situations that Joseph has been through and having been given the visions that Joseph has been given, at this point, with every step forward, I take two steps back. Now I'm in the prison. At this point, I say, okay, God, you probably got it wrong. Wrong guy. You're obviously not talking about me because here I am. I'm wallowing in the prison. I've been falsely accused. I would probably kiss my dreams goodbye. Listen, 
When things don't pan out like we think they ought to in the Christian life, our tendency is to become very fatalistic in our outlook. Our, our tendency, again, is to become very fatalistic in how we view life. We know that God has set us apart for something great, and maybe we work towards that and God's plan. We think it's to be this way, and he wants us to get to this route, but he has a different route in store for us. Or maybe we deter from the plan of God. You know what our tendency is? Wallow in our pity. We become very fatalistic. We're upset. We're mad. We're angry because God wants us to be here, and now we are, here we are. We're sitting in this difficult trial or situation or circumstance. Am I the only one? Uh, becoming fatalistic, becoming upset, becoming frustrated with the way that the Lord is working things out or, or becoming frustrated with having to suffer from the ramifications of our own decisions. And if that were the only thing that was said of us when difficult trials come, that would be unfortunate, but at least it would only affect you. But rarely is that the case. Most of the time when life gives us lemons, we want to take our lemons and squirt juice in everybody else's eye. I mean, have you ever been to church on a Sunday morning and you've met someone that's sour? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, I, I, not at this church, I'm sorry. At other churches, though. If you go to other churches, you'll go into a service on a Sunday morning and you can just see that someone is upset before you even say a word. And they have to literally pour juice, lemon juice in everybody else's eyes that are coming to worship and to serve and to praise. Uh, I talked about the youth department a couple of weeks ago. And again, uh, I get excited. I get excited when young people get excited about doing the work of the Lord. But nothing will drive me more crazy than when you see a young person who's zealous, who's excited, who's doing great things for God and they want to accomplish great things for God. And some old fogey who's sitting on their hands comes along and says something along the lines of, oh, they'll learn. Oh, they'll learn. Oh, they'll get over that. Hey, if, you're, if that's going to be your attitude, why don't you take your ball and go home? Uh, if, 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 if you want to wallow in your pity, that's fine. That's, a, uh, that's, a, that's upon yourself. If you want to wallow in your own pity, but don't bring everybody else that's around you that's trying to do great things for God down. Don't squirt lemon juice in other people's eyes. Joseph didn't have a fatalistic outlook on his situation, but rather he found an opportunity to blossom where he was planted. Look at verse number 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was, uh, it was as though it budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the cluster thereof brought forth ripe grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, and Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup unto his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the, into the dungeon. So the butler uh, begins to explain his dream, and Joseph gives the interpretation very simply. The three branches represents three days, and in three days from now, guess what? You're going to be restored to your former position. Congratulations, pack your bags, because in three days you're going to be restored. So the baker's looking on, and he says, hey, that's a good report. How about I give Joseph my interpretation? Or excuse me, give my dreams and see if he can give me his interpretation. Joseph, this is what happened, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket was, uh, there was a, of all manners, of baker's meats of, uh, for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, 
This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Yikes. So the baker explains his dream. Joseph gives the interpretation very simply. The three baskets represent three days. And in three days, don't worry about packing your bags because you're going to be hanging from the gallows. But not only that, the birds are going to come and they're going to eat your dead, rotting carcass. So I'm not going to get into what that means because I have no clue. Joseph gives the interpretation of both these dreams while in prison. And you might come to the question, Lamar, what's the significance? What's the significance of you sharing these dreams and these interpretations? I'm simply saying that Joseph had just spent 13 years on the receiving end of difficult circumstances. Joseph had more than his fair share of dilemmas and difficult situations. Joseph is in prison. He's falsely accused. And now he's in prison, but you don't see him in the corner, rocking back and forth, crying with his thumb in the mouth, saying, woe is me. Joseph knew that the hand of God was sovereign. Joseph looked at this situation as he's in prison and he was not fatalistic in his outlook. Joseph knew this. My God is sovereign and my God is still in control. Joseph knew that God had set Joseph apart for something that was bigger than himself. When life gave Joseph's lemons, what did he do? He was busy about the work of the Lord. When life gave Joseph lemons, when Joseph was faced with adversity, when Joseph went through troubles, he didn't just succeed, he didn't just survive, Joseph thrived amid trouble because he stayed busy about the work of the Lord. Joseph was compassionate to solve problems. Lastly tonight, number four. Number four, he was consistent to suffer patiently. He was consistent to suffer patiently, verse 23 in chapter number 40. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's probably one of the saddest verses in Joseph's life. There are many sad verses, but I'd have you believe that's one of the saddest verses in Joseph's life. When it rains, it pours. Joseph can't seem to catch a break. Again, he's been thrown into an empty pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and now he finds himself in prison. And just when you think things couldn't get any worse for Joseph, he does something uh, kind for someone else, and even still, he's forgotten. The Bible says in the very beginning of chapter number 41, for two whole years, Joseph is forgotten. Wow. We talked about this last week. I like to put myself in the mind of the Bible characters and try to think of how I would think in their situation. Let's put ourselves in Joseph's situation. Here Joseph is in prison. He's trying to have an optimistic view on life, trying to see God in every situation. And here he is, gives this interpretation. In spite of his own issues and his own problems, he helps somebody else that's struggling. And they go off and they're restored just as Joseph had predicted. Uh, can you imagine the, the, the anxiety that Joseph must have had day one? Day number one, as Joseph is there in the prison, today's the day. Oh my goodness, today's the day. I just heard that the, the baker, excuse me, the butler's been restored to his position. I'm so excited. Any, any minute now, I'm telling you, I better pack my bags because any minute now he's gonna walk through the doors. I'm gonna be restored. I'm gonna be proven innocent. I'm so excited. Any minute, hey, keeper of the guard, you're gonna wanna find someone else to take my position because, I mean, probably by five o'clock, probably by closing time, I'm gonna be out of here. And so uh, I'm, I'm so excited. Any day now, any moment now, I'm gonna be restored. I'm gonna be set free. And then a month passes. 
And no doubt, maybe Joseph lost a little bit of his edge in regards to his zeal, but no doubt still still excited. Surely, it must take some time. This, this kind of stuff takes time, probably doing the paperwork. He's probably working his way up through the ladder. Uh, he's probably got to talk to this person, this person, this person. It's probably, it's probably just a technicality, but any day now, I'm so excited, uh, that, that, that guard's going to come through the door and say, Joseph, you've been restored, you're set free, you're innocent. And so no doubt, it's just a technicality. Any moment now, I'm going to be restored, I'm going to be set free. But then a year passes. Can you imagine? Uh, put yourself in the mind of Joseph. Can you imagine? Surely, surely he didn't forget about me. I just stepped out of my way. God brought those people into my life and I brought myself to give them that kind of counsel and give them the interpretation out of the goodness of my heart and I was trying to honor God by doing that. Surely God is going to come through. Surely God has not forgotten about me. At the end of two years, I don't know about you, but I would become very fatalistic. Can you imagine the pain that Joseph felt inside as days turned into months, months turned into years, and two full years had passed, and to finally realize that you had been forgotten in spite of your kindness and concern you showed for someone else in need? Again, I don't know about you. There are far more spiritual people in this room than me, but I'd like to think that if if I was able, if I was spiritual enough to make it to this point in the life of Joseph, having gone through everything that Joseph has gone through, I'm just be honest, Lamar Ard, at this point when I've been forgotten for doing something kind, I probably would have quit on God. Just being honest, maybe I'm too transparent. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way, but I'm just being honest. If I were in Joseph's position, it would be at this point that I would say, all right, time out, we're done. No more. That's the last straw. That's the cherry on top. I'm done. Every time that I try to serve the Lord, every time that I do things God's way, it doesn't just work out unfavorable. It lands me in prison. It lands me in the pit. It lands me uh, with these false accusations. You get what I'm trying to say? If I put yourself in Joseph's situation and answer the question, but for me, this is where I would draw the line. But not Joseph. Not Joseph. The indication of our text is that even though it hurt, Joseph woke up day to day, continued following the sovereign hand of God, anxiously awaiting the day when God would come through on his promise because he knew that God was faithful even in Joseph's adversity, consistent even in suffering. Joseph was committed to simple projects. Joseph was concerned about struggling people. Joseph was compassionate to solve problems. And Joseph was consistent to suffer Patiently. Why? He knew that even in the midst of trial, even when life gave him lemons, God is sovereign and God is in control. God is sovereign and God is in control. What do we learn from this passage? All throughout the life of Joseph, amid trial after trial, amid difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance, amid lemon after lemon after lemon, Joseph was faithful to consistently suffer and stay faithful to the plan of God, knowing that although this is not the path that Joseph would have chosen, if there's a God in heaven, and if he has given me this vision, and if he has given me this drive and this path for my life, why don't I just comply with the will of God, and comply with the moving of the Holy Spirit, and look for opportunities to serve other struggling people, and know that God has a plan set for me, I'm just going to stay along for the ride. In closing, I'd like us to look at two things in our passage. We'll look at two things in our passage. I'll give them to you quickly that will teach us something, uh, application, basic application. I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, Joseph learned that he should never put his confidence in man. 
Joseph learned that he should never put his confidence in man. For those of you who are in our Sunday school class, I'm not going to reteach the lesson, but we've been going through the life of Joshua. And Joshua and the children of Israel are are facing difficult circumstance, battle after battle after battle. And uh, we've learned this. Confidence is a good thing when it's placed in the right thing. Did you hear me? Confidence is a good thing when it's placed in the right thing. Uh, We don't like that word confidence. I think we shy away from it. We're afraid of it. But confidence is actually a good thing. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about pride. But when you place your confidence in the right thing, it's actually a good thing. When we place our confidence in man, it always breeds failure. When we experience failure, we can become bitter. When we become bitter, we become unmendable, useless vessels that God cannot use for his purpose. And again, we know this of Joseph. When it came to people in Joseph's life, they all failed Joseph. In some way, shape, or form, everybody that Joseph came into contact with, they are found failing Joseph rather than succeeding Joseph. His father, his brothers, Potiphar's wife, and now the butler. Had Joseph placed his confidence in man, he would have been extremely disappointed. We've referenced it every single week for the past three weeks. Verse number 38 of chapter number 41. Potiphar says, can we find such a man as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Joseph placed his confidence upon the one who never fails. Joseph placed his confidence in the God of his situations, the God who is bigger than all his problems. That's who Joseph placed his confidence in. Secondly, Joseph learned to place his trust in the timing of God. Yes, Joseph placed his confidence in God. We understand that. But Joseph went a step further. He placed his confidence in the timing of God. Look at verse number one of chapter number 41 again. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. We're going to talk about this next week. But Joseph is seemingly forgotten in prison. And while he's there, seemingly, humanly speaking, he's forgotten in prison, God was working behind the scenes in the life of Pharaoh, in the life of the nation of Egypt, and even in the life of his brothers and his father there in Canaan. God was setting up the playing field for a miraculous miracle to take place, and you know who he's going to use to deliver the entire nation of Egypt as well as Joseph and his family? Joseph. Joseph had to learn that waiting time is never wasted time unless you waste the time that you're waiting Joseph understood that this was, although it was, humanly speaking, a setback, God had given Joseph this opportunity to thrive, not just survive. Joseph knew that the promises of God in his life were not a matter of if, but they were a matter of when. As long as God is faithful, let God be true and every man a liar. If God says it, it's settled. He's going to come through on his promises. It's just a matter of when. Not if, it's a matter of when. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you'll do just what you say in your time. Joseph learned to place his trust in the timing of God. And even when life gave Joseph lemons, Joseph understood that God was still sovereign and God was still in control. Even in the darkest hour of Joseph's life, there in the prison, Joseph understood God is sovereign and God is in control. So let me ask you that question. How can we thrive amid difficult circumstances? How can we thrive through the troubles of life? Here it is. Commit yourself to the simple projects. Concern yourself with the struggles of others. Compassionately endeavor to continue doing the work of God. Be consistent even in suffering. Place your confidence in the one who never fails. And know that God's timing is the best timing. God's timing is the best timing. How many of you have been dealt some lemons in life? Let me tell you. 
Put your place in the one who never fails. Put your place in the timing of God. It might not be tonight. It might not be tomorrow. Righteousness is not always instantaneously rewarded. We've learned that in the life of Joseph. Be faithful. Be faithful to the plan of God and know that next week we're going to talk about their promotion. We're going to talk about how God comes through on his promise as though it was a surprise. God is sovereign and God is in control. God is perfect. And when God makes a promise, he's going to come through on it, but he's going to come through in his perfect timing. We're going to learn next week that if, if God would have delivered Joseph any earlier than this, Joseph would not have been in the position that God wanted him to be to rise him into to prominence and deliver the entire nation of Egypt, including his brothers. So let's be faithful to follow the plan of God. Even when life gives us lemons, be faithful to follow the hand of God and put our confidence in his timing. Let's stand and we'll have a brief verse of invitation. And if uh, God speaks to you, you can come forward immediately. And if not, we'll go directly into our prayer time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity, again, to be taught the word of God tonight. And Lord, amid the difficult trials and the circumstances of life, I pray that we would be faithful to trust the hand of the Almighty God. Trust your hand. Lord, you see what we don't. And your timing is perfect. And when I think of the plans that you set out for my life, hindsight is foresight. And if I would have had my way, I would have done it completely differently. But then I wouldn't be in your will. I wouldn't have the blessings that I have today. I wouldn't have my wife, my son, wouldn't be a part of this ministry. Lord, if I would have gotten in the way and gotten in front of, of, of your will and your moving and your spirit, I would not be where I am today. Your plan does not always take place exactly how I think it ought to. But Lord, I'm thankful that that is the case. I pray that we would be faithful to follow your hand, Lord, and have confidence in your hand because you're the one who has the, uh, you have the maps, the maps set out in place, Lord. You know where you want us to be and you know how you want us to get there. Lord, I pray that you speak with us, speak with us tonight. Be with the requests that were mentioned just a moment ago in Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward or we can go directly into our prayer time at this time. <laughs>